This is the Roaring Elfin podcast for the 9th of June. And as always, I'm joined by my uh, almost ready for the future co-host, Dave. I mean, the, the future's a long <laughs> way away, really. I mean, who needs to be ready for that? <laughs> and you can't be ready for it, because every time it's there, it's it's ne- it's gone again. I mean, exactly. Yeah, whatever. Sky's, sky's going to fall tomorrow. <laughs> oh, God, that's an asterisk. Uh, reference they had that in the uk (laughs) they did uh well anyway it's a news episode before we go in there uh i got an apology to our listeners and a thank you to go out the apologies uh due to the fact that one of our past episodes was kind of hindered in the way it got released are very much how can i say this next gen totally high available industry standard pipeline of deploying our mp4 (laughs) TensorFlow enabled and everything. Yeah. Also known as a bunch of Python scripts, kind of crapped out on me, <laughs> causing one of our uh, past episodes to be pretty hard to download for a big part of the world. And uh, well, not only was that uh, fixed, uh, it's already fixed, so it shouldn't be a problem anymore. But uh, I wanted to sh- give a shout out to Mohammed Ansari, who actually reported the problem and helped me resolve it as well. So thanks, Mohammed, and uh, we owe you one. Yeah, are our listeners just awesome? Uh, yes, we would be nowhere without them. Indeed. Right? <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. Although, knowing you, you'd still be talking. <laughs> That's probably true. <laughs> so let's get on with it. Uh, first, as, as always, it's a news episode. We're not going to go really in depth about the articles we find. It's more that we get inspired by the articles, other stuff we read along the way, and we decide to talk about it. And the first one is one I found, I think. It's a tweet from Troy Hunt. If you don't know Troy Hunt, he's the guy behind Have I Been Pound, or Pumed, or however you pronounce that one, yep. about a kind of, um, yeah, well, is, is it actually helping or hurting people at this point? <laughs> well, I mean, the, 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 the attempt was there to, for all things to be, uh, to be perfectly above board. I mean, haven't been planned. If you haven't, if you don't know what it is, it's where you can check if your email address has been part of one of the oh so rare data leaks in the last uh, decade or so. <laughs> I mean, I've been I've been lucky actually. I've only been added to the database uh, about a month ago. I was always my domain was had been free of, but now I've been added and apparently from one of those data gatherers. I mean, it wasn't any kind of entity I ever did any business with. Yeah. But anyway, doesn't really matter. That's what the service is about. It's actually quite good. And the problem or the thing is that if you, as an organization, have an email domain that got compromised, you can actually subscribe to some warning emails which are sent out automatically. And in this case, a company's email was apparently part of a leak, have been bound, detected it and sent a warning message notification of that fact. Now, the thing is, it sent that notification to their support email which immediately automatically created a case in the support ticketing system. And apparently the notification mail from Haverman Pound contained a dot comma something something, swiggly squiggly something something, which was a vulnerability as an SQL injection in the case management system they used. Uh, But as a result that all of their cases, if I remember correctly, lost their case headings, subject lines, things like that, and pretty much brought down the entire support department. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, I would I would say at this point it, this is in in a certain to a certain respect this is a story as as old as well as old as Bobby Drop Tables um 
Uh, and, you know, SQL injection has been one of the things, um, you know, around for such a very, very, very long time mm-hmm. that it's just, it's not terribly surprising. Well, that, yes, it is. Yeah. I mean, it's, as you said, it's been along for a long time, but pretty much every programming language out there actively discourages the use of code that can leads to SQL injection and you go around this. There's different ways of avoiding this very easily these days. It's harder to make it actually vulnerable than to make it non-vulnerable. But the age-old question here, I think, is not exactly that SQL injection is so prevalent, but you should upgrade your software, because in this case, the help desk ticket system uh, it was a known problem. It been updated a while ago, but uh, this company never upgraded their system software. And it was an open source uh, ticketing system, so no excuse, really. It was all out there. It wasn't uh, behind any kind of closed firewalls, whatever. They should have just been updating, but yeah, it's so easy, right? When it works, it just works. And if I touch it, maybe I'll break it. So it's okay. Yeah. And the, the thing that I... I don't know, I... I'm really torn on this whole situation because <laughs> on the one hand it is it is ridiculous that people are still allowing this kind of really like one of the simplest possible breaches to um uh, to still affect you know their their data but it it's just it's so it's so prevalent it's like this this keeps happening Everywhere, and so it feels like something that if you can't trust people, you need to ensure that which you can't, obviously. Um, <laughs> then, then you need to have something at the underlying system level that that sort of prevents this kind of like if if you have anything that takes data in, you I don't know manually set that this. Uh, this should be allowed to accept SQL, for example, rather than the default, which is, well, anything can can squirt around any data you like. It just... Uh, it's only been like 10 years only that this rest. stuff has become a problem, right? And uh, I mean, I'm guilty of that too. I make sure that my internal network here is firewalled off and as long as IPv6 stays away because IPv6 is part of the devil... Uh, I'll be happily con- uh, protected by my natting of the firewall here, of the, the modem. But I've got some open source software here that I just installed, and it works, and I'm not looking at it. And if I ever really looked at it, I probably am behind 10 versions by now. It's just that that's for personal use, and I mean, who cares if I get, uh, if I, if my database of my, uh, I don't know, book collection gets trashed, I'll have to type it all in again. I'll be... F- punished that way and the world would be a better place (laughs) but if you're in a company uh, you have to I mean open source gives you a lot of functionality a lot of possibility and a lot of control and insight in how it all works stay up up to speed with what's happening there and I mean for the closed source software, I guess you have a bit more of a, an apology there that you're dependent, you're paying for it so they should have warned you about it open source is more than just free software guys it's also the mindset of being part of the thing and not just consuming it but be part of it and staying up to speed is kind of the minimal thing there I don't know <laughs> yeah as I say I I think there's there's definitely an element of of that of you know staying up to date with 
patch releases of of software that you rely on of software that has any interaction but it's just i we failed like as humans humans have failed time <laughs> oh and time boy. again to <laughs> that didn't take long <laughs> well yeah to to sort of not or to fix this problem in any reliable sensible way which means that the like, if you can't just rely on people to always sanitize their um you know fields from things like sql injection then you've got you've got to change you've got to change something fundamental it needs to be a systemic change rather than just relying on 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 people to yeah. remember to do things it's just yeah i i i'm not i agree people should keep their stuff up to date but it's that's that's like that's the symptom that's not the root cause here yeah, but I mean, I think it was only yesterday that again uh, a database containing millions of public uh, of, of private information was discovered on the internet without a password set. I mean, you, you said it. I think you should have stopped when you said uh, the human race has failed. <laughs> <laughs> Period. The end. Go back to sticks and stones. <laughs> yeah, we should all just return to the ocean. Uh, oh God, no! I can't swim. Yeah, that, that's even better. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Sheesh. I mean, this, this, this was a uh, total... I feel threatened now, so the whole internet is going to be vi- uh, witness to this. I just got threatened by my co-host. There we go. <laughs> as, I, as I put be- below the little article here, who needs enemies with friends like these? Yeah, there you go, see? <laughs> Important for the future. Anyway, moving on... Um, and it's still like kind of adversarial and what could be more adversarial than than ghosts and pills and a little <laughs> yellow circle with a big gaping mouth yeah by a hole like I think it's called I actually don't like this article Okay. I mean, it was bad enough when AI started playing games instead of us. Now they start making the games instead of us. No, What's no, no. For us? They, they didn't. They didn't make the game. They recreated the game. They didn't oh, make well. it from scratch. So you're saying it's a, a, a imitation, best part of flattery, or something like that? Uh, sure. Let's let's try that. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course, what we're talking about is the uh, Nvidia. Sort of released an article where their AI has recreated the Pac-Man game um, from a, a, a by creating something called GameGAN, a generative adversarial network trained on fifty thousand Pac-Man. I love the fact they call them episodes, Pac-Man episodes, like it's a serialized cartoon or something, <laughs> um, and produced a fully functional version of the the game as it were you know operating all rules seemingly correct uh, without there actually being a game engine so it's just it's just a, a whole series of of images representing what's actually happening and the the uh the yeah the neural network is is has created this flow of what seems to be a perfectly practical uh, flow of a game yeah, I think we can actually play the version of the game, right? It's not just that it's showing you a video of it. It's actually created all of the rule sets behind it as well. I, I mean, that being said, Pac-Man is relatively simple, of course. No, I, yeah, I, no, I'm not sure that you can play it. I thought, I thought it was. It's literally the the um, neural network effectively playing it. 
Yeah, I'm looking through the uh, the article now. But I thought I read it somewhere. I don't. I don't care. It's still quite amazing that it's possible to be honest. Yeah. It's but it is. It, yeah, I I just I find it hugely amusing. Uh, I find it, I find it fascinating that uh, we've reached the point where you can just feed a bunch of episodes, and I'm using perfectly good for radio air quotes here into <laughs> a uh, into a, a a neural network of some kind, and out pops a game being played without you having you know really put any form of game engine or, or anything behind it apart from the uh, the, the source data it's it's yeah it's just, it's very very entertaining to me and I do I, I'm less interested in the um, in the final like end result and I'm more interested in like what do you think some of the aborted versions that like did not work out very well look like oh, that's actually decent to be honest i don't know for this one specifically but uh, i know when i saw this one i sent you a youtube video and i'll see if i can find the link again to add to the show notes of a even simpler version of this of somebody just uh, kind of created a a racetrack uh, layout and then put in a car and told the ai to learn to, to teach itself how to drive the car take corners things like that and you, it's really amazing how fast these things learn these days. And of course, they're based on algorithms that have been pre-trained. Well, not pre-trained, I should say, but have been found to be effective for these kinds of uh, use cases. Yeah. So it's not a totally greenfield approach, let's say. But I, even after like a dozen generations of this thing, where the, the, the AI kind of learned, if I go straight, I will bump into the, the, the wall and I have to start over again. So I have to start turning and start detecting. Uh, this was actually a kind of use case of how uh, autonomic cars would possibly learn how to self-drive, although it's a very simplified situation, of course. <laughs> just, I'm just picturing, actually, picturing uh, you, you buying your brand new uh, automatically driving, self-driving car, you, you take it out of <laughs> the showroom and you, you pull it onto the street and you press the auto-drive button and it goes, okay, learning how to drive and starts like <laughs> ping-balling <laughs> off of like road signs and other cars and stuff like that and like, you get home and you've got this absolutely wrecked car, but it's learned how to drive now correctly. Is that, is that second how it market is going to be great <laughs> never buy a new car always go second hand yeah and so so is the uh, like the job that you want to get into is body work repair there you go anyway so um actually no because i think it's citroen who is way ahead of you there but they have one car called the cactus or something like that that has like this foam uh yeah plastic yeah. rubber padding on the sides maybe that's why they i never understood why they did because it, it looks ugly i think Maybe so, they're ahead of the game. So in a in a I don't know. Well, we've we've gone down this rabbit hole, so we're con- we're continuing because why <laughs> stop? Um, if you look at there's a, a firm that makes um, car like not car replacement body panels out of oh god I can't I, I now I'm now blanking on the material, but it's it might be. Kevlar woven, woven Kevlar with something else in it, and it and carbon. Possibly, I don't know. I can't remember the exact materials, but it's used on things like drift cars and stuff like that. Which underneath them, most of the like the, the pro cars, you you end up with like a. You might have the ordinary car chassis in the middle, but like the front end and the back end are mostly 
like they've cut off the traditional frame and they've got you've got a tube chassis there or tube ends to the chassis either end that are protecting the actual car's chassis and all of the radiators and all the other you know, wheels and all the other stuff and they they fit these these like perfectly normal looking panels but you can literally like they're they're flexible enough that you can actually push one in just with your hand and you can deform this thing massively and then take your hand off and it just pops right back out. So maybe that's where we're going. We're going for like panels that you just, you know, they just spring back into place after you've after you've been bouncing your brand new car or your brand new car has been bouncing itself off of other brand new cars. Yeah, it's actually strange if we haven't done this earlier because it's a well-known fact that the rigid stuff breaks and flexible stuff bends and bends back. Of yeah. course, there's a limit as how far it should bend. If that panel of yours bends to the point that my knees are uh, on the other side of my uh, backside, I was going to say a different word, but we're safe for work, uh, uh, then it's not a good solution, I guess. And when the bending goes through the, the tube frame, it's going to still crash and break the car. But yeah, I mean... Maybe it's just the the, the, the the bad organization behind all the, the, the car dealerships and repair shops that they put stuff on the car. Because to be honest, if you just look at my car these days, it has a pit in it. It has a dent in it just by looking at it. The, the <laughs> heaviness of my gaze is enough to make that thing. Uh, the, uh, I mean, it's you get a new car, two hours later, you can't even recognize it's new anymore these days. Because in the olden days, with the steel panels and everything, you needed a tank to make that dent and actually my, my parents drove a Lada so I know what I'm talking about <laughs> but these days with the, all the plastic and uh, aluminium stuff yeah I mean it's not a bad idea on the other hand for the, 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 if an accidents happen I didn't hit that person look at my car you can't see a thing it's <laughs> so bad that my mind went there <laughs> yeah L- look, at, look how quickly your mind went dark hey <laughs> I live in the Netherlands. I'm a, I'm a bike rider, so I'm a, I'm a how do you call that? A uh, I'm in danger. I'm not the danger causer. Okay, okay. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Yeah, staying with Nvidia. Uh, this is from there. Uh, I had a keynote happening because one of those big uh, conferences was cancelled. I forget the name because they all got cancelled now, so I stopped remembering them. But they did a keynote anyway, and they uh, announced something called Ampere, or Ampere, or whatever language you want to say it into, their HGXA100 board. And they had a little um, teaser video out on YouTube where the the boss of, uh, of NVIDIA took a new board out of the oven, so to speak, fresh from the, warm from the oven, and put it on the table there. And the first thing I saw there was a flashback. Because a long time ago, back in the 90s, I started my illustrious career, I'd say, with Silicon Graphics. And Silicon Graphics was was the original graphics company that uh, made name with movies like, uh, I mean, Tron already used stuff from the same, but Silicon didn't exist yet. Silicon Graphics didn't exist yet then, but the same kind of hardware was used there. Uh, Jurassic Park is pretty much the most well-known movie. But anyway, anything that was done with uh, VR or cave systems or things like that was all based on their graphics and the silicon graphics graphics card was actually a six to eight card big contraption and when i say card you have to think like i don't know 50 centimeters by 50 centimeters almost studded with memory chips and things all put in serial or parallel to make simple things do more complex parts 
through parallelization, through distributed system approach, basically. Now, over the time, over the years, we've, we've seen that these big boxes of cards got miniaturized, miniaturized, miniaturized until now it all fits on a single chip that needs a lot of cooling. So that's why a GPU is this this big these days, not because the, the CPU itself is so big, it's because all the cooling you need, and a bit for the, the, the memory, I guess. But looking at this Ampere thing, what they're actually doing here is taking these, I'm going to use the same air quotes you used, simple GPU chips of today, putting them in parallel or serial or whatever in an intelligent way to make them do more complicated intelligent stuff. And that's pretty much what Silicon Graphics did like 30 years ago. And obviously, performance levels are totally different. I mean, the thing that Silicon Graphics computers could do in the 90s, I can do on my, I don't know, I don't, I don't even need a calculator or a watch. So really advancing, but it's, it is noteworthy that we're really going cyclical in this uh, in the technology way. And it's not just for GPUs, but also for CPUs. Got the whole Zen architecture for AMD. Same thing. Instead of doing a single core that there's a lot of stuff, uh, make the cores a little bit simpler and then use them as chiplets and put a lot of them on a single die. And now you have a more distributed, flexible, call it mark, microarchitecture on the hardware level, I know, approach. And uh, that's apparently the the next uh, how today the uh, technology is changing for the better yeah and it, this is as you say this is the the just the next generation of that same old same old story the the it's it's the whole thing around um you know moore's law and, and all those sorts of things you you went through various times where some of these some of these laws Quote, again, air quotes. Lots of air quotes in this episode. <laughs> Some of these laws essentially slowed down um, to all intents and purposes, but the workloads kept getting greedier. So people sort of started looking for alternate ways to, you know, how to cram more power, whether it's compute or GPU or whatever. So, I mean, you saw this initially where... You know the, the very early SMP, you know, dual socket and then quad socket systems came in, and then and then you had multi-core CPUs, you know, just on their own, and then you know that was that gave a certain amount of parallelization, and now we've got, you know, it, it's sort of the the cycle has continued. You know, you had you know, single-threaded multi-CPU devices, and now you've got multiple threads and multiple cores on a single die, and you also see now that 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 cycle is continuing. So you've got you know dual socket boards where you've got you know, easily more than uh, thirty-two or sixty-four um, cores on a per CPU. So you end up with just ridiculous you know thread counts and core counts. And then yeah, same same sort of thing on on the GPU world as 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 the uh, the cycle continues there as well. It's just I don't I don't really understand that. I mean. This kind of approach always has um, not necessarily limitations, but it always has some form of impact. Like your your workload will not you won't just be able to take a workload from you know one particular legacy sort of platform of some way, shape, or form, and just seamlessly oh it will automatically run you know x number of times faster just as a linear expectation there's always some sort of you know overhead of the the context switching the memory sharing and you know, all these other things so that's why in the majority of cases these multiple you know multiple in this case you know gpus on a board will definitely the aim will 
absolutely be over the next five or ten or however many years to squeeze that amount of of GPU power back down onto a single you know, single die and, and the cycle will continue. Yeah, but NVIDIA's playing a smart game there because uh, they bought a company a month ago or something. Remember that? Yes. Mellanox. Yes, indeed. Specialists in big, fast memory transfer, data transfer kind of things. I mean, a lot of supercomputers, what's the difference these days between a supercomputer and a, uh, let's call it Beowulf cluster? It's the interconnect. In the olden days, again, going back to the 90s, well, maybe the 2000s here, the interconnects were very expensive fiber optic cables that were specifically made. And then at a certain point, it became more commoditized. And Melnox mm-hmm. was one of the big ones there, the InfiniBand uh, Intrafabrics, to make all this intranode data transfer, CPU, NUMA architecture, CC NUMA, cache coherent, non-uniform oh, memory architecture. Oh, yeah. Yes, I still know it. <laughs> yeah, It's part of the Linux kernels these days. Um, but they're already looking at that and making that possible too. Yep. Yeah. Indeed. And also, I think it's going to be easier now because I think in the 90s, when we were in the COBOL era and we went to the 2000s and went to the, into the first distributed systems, things like MapReduce got reinvented, let's say, and applied on the computer infrastructure. People had to go from monolithical approaches to multi-threaded approaches. Today, a lot of, especially the industrial things, are multi-threaded, multi-task, map-reduced, pulled out of each other for cost reasons, basically, because mm-hmm. you can still do it on a big system, but a supercomputer costs a lot more than a uh, 10 years ago Hadoop cluster these days, whatever you're using as a big data system is based on some kind of a map-reduced system based on that division of, uh, of labor across multi-similarly equipped resource nodes. So I think this is just going the next direction. And another way to look at this Ampere board of, uh, of um, NVIDIA, you can also see it as, well, we used to have a cluster with 10 nodes. Well, we kind of miniaturized the nodes and put them as modules on a board now. So from that point of view, it kind of stays the same. That being said, you're totally right. Because if I look at uh, my own computer here and I play a game from time to time, at the moment, if you put together a gaming PC, the thing you have to look for is the highest clock speed, because games are def- and games are the most graphically uh, intensive parts of applications that most people run on their PCs. I think don't, I don't think Word or, G- or Excel needs a lot of graphics power, <laughs> but most of these things still are single-threaded. That's why uh, things like SLI, for instance. It doesn't exist anymore. You can still buy an NVLink if you can find one. And trust me, I tried, and they're nowhere to be found. But there's barely any benefit because the parallelization of the graphical applications, unless you're doing things with Adobe Premiere or Vegas Pro or DaVinci Resolve, these real, these more professional graphical tools, yep, those go multi-threaded, and those won't have a problem migrating to this new era of things. But most common things, yeah, there's not much uh, parallelism going on there as of yeah. yet. But that's that has to change because, as you said, Moore's law. We kind of at maybe not at the end, but it's definitely slowing down. So yeah, if you want to keep producing these 100% increases of performance every couple of years, well, serialization is next, right? That's it worked for Hadoop. It works for the big data structures today. It yeah, work for hardware as well. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can absolutely see that. I, I don't know where this is. There's always going to be workloads where you'll be able to scale that successfully. There are also you know, far more commonly going to be workloads where 
multi-threading will get you so far, but only so far. And then, you know, there's, there's definitely workloads that will almost linearly scale, but they are relatively few and far between. Think you know, computational fluid dynamics and stuff like that is, is definitely the sort of stuff that is there or thereabouts pretty linear. But beyond that, yeah, it sort of starts to yeah, starts to depends, change pretty quickly. There's also a lot of uh, research going on to finding new algorithms to make things that previously were True. not parallelizable become parallelizable. And in the end, yeah, it's probably going to be slower due to data traffic and whatever. But, well, if I lose like I mean, 30% of speed on the job itself, but, but I can double easily the core just count. add... Yeah. Exactly. Then who cares about that 30%? I can just... The linear scalability comes in again. Yep. And it remains uh, uh, financially sound to invest in those things at that point. And yeah, you can pull it wherever you want to, but it's the money that the money decides, right? Yeah, always. <laughs> right. In that case, and that's the same yep. from you... Nope, go ahead. All right, that, then that is all the time we have for today. You can support this podcast by becoming a Patreon. Every contribution helps. Uh, we're on YouTube. You can like, subscribe, hit the notification bell, all the YouTube things. Please go to www.roaringelephant.org for a link to our Patreon page. And for more information about this podcast, you can also follow us on Twitter using the at Roaring Elephant tag and send your feedback or corrections about our episodes not releasing correctly to podcast <laughs> at roaringelephant.org. Thanks again, uh, Mohammed, for, for pointing that out to us. Uh, really appreciate it. But until next time, my name is Dave. And my name is, I'm pretty sure my Python doesn't have any SQL injection vulnerabilities, young. <laughs> and we look forward to talking to you next week. See you then. Goodbye.